This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate some of your time this morning. Lots to talk about sports-wise, although it was a very quiet day uh, in Major League Baseball yesterday, although not a quiet day for Red Sox bats. If you're a Red Sox fan, you enjoyed uh, what happened yesterday, but uh, it's be- going to be a beautiful day here in the Northeast. They're talking about temperatures in the 70s, uh, and then uh, uh, it's going to get really cold <laughs> the following day. It's just welcome to New England. Uh, we're going to go from like 70 today to wind chills in the around 25 or 30 uh, tomorrow. Joy, unbelievable. Um, here in the state of Connecticut, uh, Governor Ned Lamont announced yesterday that he is going to lift most of the limits that were put in place because of the coronavirus in a month. Uh, actually, it's going to start on May 1st. They are going to lift all outdoor restrictions, allowing bars uh, to have outdoor seating, and they don't have to serve food. Uh, what they, they had done in the beginning of this was that unless you served food, you couldn't be open at all. So, uh, you know, places that were strictly bars, uh, have been closed since March of last year and it's uh, been brutal. So now they will be able to open outdoors as of May one. And then as of May 19th, the state is pretty much doing away with all of the restrictions with the exception of the mask mandate. You'll still have to wear your mask but now uh, that means uh, no more uh, reduced capacity at restaurants. Restaurants will be able to open to full capacity. They won't have to have the social distancing anymore. Um, they will be dropped. Uh, stadiums, sports stadiums like Dunkin' Donuts Park for the Hartford Yard Goats, they will be able to have full capacity. Uh, concert venues will be able to have full capacity. So we're getting back to what the old normal was with the exception of the mask mandate right now, as of May 19th. Uh, As you can imagine, you know, there are a lot of people very happy about this, and then you have the people that are like, this is not right, this is too soon, mostly health experts. And look, I'm not, uh, I agree with, you know, some of the experts that are saying, look, you know, we need to be careful about the quick, dropping of the social distancing requirements. You know, I, I, I get it, you know, um, but outdoors, you know, like for concert venues or Dunkin' Donuts Park, uh, I'm okay with that. You know, you're outside, there's air moving, you know, it's not an indoor where the, where the, uh, you know, 
the germs are kind of confined. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm better with it outside. I, I kind of agree with the restaurant thing until everybody's vaccinated. But, you know, and as the governor said, look, you know, we have to keep, we're going to keep the mask mandate. And if you're a school student, you're still going to have to wear your mask in school. He said, unleashed until you're vaccinated. Now, here in the state of Connecticut, the vaccination program is really going well. Now, I know as a whole in the country, we're at about 50%. Here in the state of Connecticut, we're in the 60s, uh, getting closer to 70%. We're getting to a point where very soon um, it's not going to be as big an issue. But until then, you know, uh, I agree. Keep wearing your mask. Keep washing your hands. Do the things you're supposed to do. Uh, But the restaurants need this. You know, the restaurants and the bars. I mean, look, we've already lost so many restaurants and so many uh, businesses to this pandemic uh, that I think that uh, this is a shot in the arm, no pun intended, (laughs) that that these businesses need. So that will be as of uh, outdoors as of May 1, indoors as of May 19th. As I said, my wife and I bought concert tickets, ever the optimist. We bought concert tickets for um, August uh, 21st. And it means now that when we go to the Xfinity Center in Hartford, it sounds like it's going to be full unless things change, unless something goes south and, you know, they have to put the brakes on it. And let's hope that's not the case. Let's hope we're moving forward and not backwards. But if that's the case, when when we go to that concert, it's going to be full. And I'm okay with that, you know. And maybe if everybody's vaccinated, maybe if we're at 80, 85 percent, we can go to a concert, not have to wear a damn mask. Won't that be great? Um, and for fans that are going to go to Hartford Yard Goats game, they don't begin their season until May 1st. So we still have a couple of weeks. And they're, you know, in the beginning, you're still going to have to wear your mask. But at least you're going to be able to be at a game. You know, and uh, as I contemplate whether I will go to a baseball game this year, my wife and I have discussed that. You know, if we're going to go to a concert, why not go to a baseball game? So we may. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Other news from the state of Connecticut, there was a protest yesterday. Actually, there were a pair of protests yesterday at uh, colleges here in the state of Connecticut. The first one was uh, at the University of Connecticut where the women's rowing team had a, uh, uh, a gathering yesterday to protest the fact that their sport is being eliminated. Uh, as you know, UConn dropped a number of sports trying to balance the budget. The funny part is, is, and this is where I have an issue with this, and, you know, UConn's dropping sports, but they're not dropping big-ticket sports. You know, they've got a, you know, $15 million deficit. You're not going to balance the deficit, uh, balance the budget, by dropping women's rowing, you know, or dropping uh, cross-country. You know, they're dropping sports that don't cost a lot of money. They're losing money on football, a ton of money. They're losing money on hockey, a ton of money. That's where the majority of the losses in the UConn athletic program are. You know, men's basketball makes money. Although last year, everybody took a bit of a hit, obviously, because they didn't have fans at Gamble. But, you know, with television rights, and uh, NCAA tournament appearances, et cetera. Men's and women's basketball, you know, do okay. But, you know, football is the, you know, the thing. I mean, you want to balance the budget, new athletic budget? Drop football. 
We've had this conversation before. They're not going to do it, but that's a quick way to balance the budget. Um, so anyway, they had the protest yesterday at UConn about women's rowing, and they're screaming Title IX. For those of you that don't know, Title IX is something that was put in place so that there is the assurance that female student-athletes have equal opportunities at their universities. And here's, the, here's how it works. It's not like if you have men's tennis, you have to have women's tennis. The deal is this. Your student-athlete population has to have the same percentage that your general student population has of males to females. So if 60% of your university is females, and I don't know what the number is at UConn. You know, I, I don't. And it wasn't in the, uh, in the articles uh, that I read about this. But if, if your student-athlete population is 60%, or, or your, your general student population is 60% women, you have to have 60% women in your athletic department. Now, it's not that high. I know it's not. It, it, you know, it, no school is that high uh, by and large. You know, usually it's 52 to 48, 53, 47, somewhere in that, males to females, depending one way or the other. But you have to have it. Your, your student-athlete population has to reflect the overall population of your school. If it doesn't, you're not in compliance, and, there, you know, that's a problem. Legally, you have to be in compliance. So, you know, I, I don't think, though, that Title IX here is the way to go. I don't think that, you know, look, I understand that these girls that play, that, are, that compete in women's rowing are upset. But so are the, uh, the guys uh, on the golf team that had men's golf eliminated. You know, um, and, you know there are, and by the way, there are more women's rowers than there are men's golfers. So, uh, you know, it, it, depending on what, and that's the only issue here is if, you know, and it wasn't just women's rowing and men's golf. There were some other sports like uh, cross country, and I can't remember what, I, maybe tennis. I can't remember. There some other sports that were dropped. So the bottom line here is they're going to have to look at the total percentage of males to females that were dropped, look at the overall, and see, is it a Title IX thing? My guess is no, because if it was, the university wouldn't have done this. They had to have done their homework prior to that. If not, they're idiots. So that was protest number one. And this one's been ongoing at UConn for a while since the, the drops were announced last year. You know, and, and you know, it, 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 UConn wasn't the only university to do it. Universities across the country did it because the pandemic gave them an excuse. Look, there are a lot of athletic programs uh, in the country at universities that are bloated, that have way more sports than they should have based on the size of the school, et cetera, et cetera. They're just trying to bite off more than they can chew, trying to keep everybody happy. So, yeah, we'll add this sport, and we'll add this sport, and we'll add this sport. And then before you know it, you know, you've got 32 sports, and you're figuring out how the hell are we going to pay for all this? Well, the pandemic gave schools an opportunity to kind of scale back a little bit, and a lot of them took advantage of it. This next one is, and we talked about this earlier, uh, or actually last week, when the report came out, that the University of Hartford had commissioned a study, and this study had recommended that the University of Hartford drop athletic scholarships and remove their university from Division One status to Division Three status. So going from the top tier 
to a tier that does not give any athletic scholarships. University president says that we should be concentrating on athletics, you know, and that is what this university should be about, you know. And if we drop, go from Division One sports to Division Three sports, we save about $10 million a year. It really won't be that much because, as I said, those figures, you know, and I think they said a $13 million deficit, those figures are inflated because they count tuition as part of that money. And as I said, those kids that are at that school that went there for athletics, if, if you don't have those sports in Division One, they're not there anyway. So counting those tuition dollars as part of your deficit is kind of, that's a paperwork thing. And that's and that's every university does that. Every Division One school does that. Just like UConn's budget deficit isn't as much as people think it is because they're counting tuition. You can't. You can't. Because you have, there's no guarantee that, that that kid, that spot that kid is in would be filled if you weren't participating in Division One athletics. And this is what happened yesterday. Uh, the Hartford athletic director met with a number of coaches, et cetera, to kind of explain the thinking, where they were. You know, look, no decision's been made yet, but th this is you know just kind of leading them down the path of, look, this is what we're considering, this is why we're considering it, and this is what I think. He was also supposed to meet with a number of student-athletes. The student-athletes bailed on it. They said, nope, we're not going to do it. They decided that it would be better to have a march around campus, and over 100 student-athletes at the University of Hartford participated in this march on campus yesterday. And 94% of all the student-athletes that were polled at the University of Hartford said if you drop to Division Three, we're gone. We will transfer. So there are 94%, and I don't know what the total student population, uh, student athlete population is. My guess is it's somewhere, probably in the five to six hundred range. They are gone. Now, can you replace them with other student athletes that will play Division Three sports? Probably, maybe, don't know who's, you know, I mean, you probably will over time. Will it happen instantly? No. So you're going to take a hit initially. If these kids all transfer and you don't fill those three, four, 500 slots, well, you know, and by the way, you know, here's the other thing that people forget or maybe don't understand. Just because Hartford's Division One doesn't mean that all their student athletes are on athletic scholarships. Let me give you a for instance. When I was uh, working in college athletics at the Division One level, basketball fully fully filled with uh, scholarship athletes, men's and women's basketball. All right, football, however, was not. Football has you know let's say the football team has a hundred kids. Well, of those hundred kids. The, the coach probably has 30 scholarships, maybe 35. Now, some of them, some of the kids will be on full rides. You know, your best players are, are going to get a full ride. That means tuition, room and board, fees, everything paid for. But some kids that are there on athletic scholarships at Division One schools are not on a full ride. They're there because, you know, maybe the uh, – 
maybe the baseball coach has 10 scholarships to give out. And so he'll give out five full scholarships to his best players, and then he'll take the other five scholarships, and he'll divide that money up between 10, more, 10 other players so that maybe they get half their school schooling paid for. Or maybe it's over 20 players and you get 25%. I mean, that's what they do. They don't – baseball team doesn't have, you know, everybody on scholarship. Tennis team, not everybody's on scholarship. The women's rowing team at UConn, you know, there's a handful of girls, you know, maybe on one hand, the number of girls on scholarship. Most of them are walk-ons, and that's how they fill out their team. You know, so – it's not, you know, again, that's why I'm saying that the, the perception that that Division One athletics is, you know, everybody's just like, uh, you know, it's a party for everybody. This It's not. I mean, there are kids that are at Division One schools that have to work jobs to stay in school because maybe they're on a par- partial scholarship and their parents can't afford the other part of it. It's not true for, you know, again, you know, the hockey team and the basketball teams, um, you know, they're fully funded football. They're not all, they're not all on full rides at UConn. They're not. So anyway, to get back to the Hartford situation, 94% of these kids say they're going to transfer. If you can't fill that, well, your deficit's not going to necessarily get any better. If you don't fill those, those seats. And I am not saying that Hartford should stay Division One. Okay, I'm not. That's a decision that they have to make. I can certainly understand why they might want to do it, might want to drop. But, of course, you know, the, the funny part is, in the landscape that we're in today, you have more teams going to Division One, not fewer. For instance, uh, Merrimack University in Massachusetts, they were Division One in men's ice hockey only. Everything else was a Division Two sport. Or Division Three sport. Now they're Division One in everything. Uh, UMass Lowell was Division Two. They're now Division One in everything. Uh, you know Bryant University, just a you know a dozen years or so, maybe well maybe yeah probably twelve to fifteen years ago, decided to make the jump to Division One. You have schools going up, not down by and large as far as uh, Division One athletics goes. So having a school drop from Division One to Division Three very unusual. And most of these kids that were in this march yesterday said we only came here because it was Division One. You know the uh, the girl who is the uh, the president of the uh, the student athlete advisory committee. She's a senior volleyball player. She said that's the only reason she came there. And she said, "Look, you know, there's no question. You know, and and the kids that were recruited because it was a Division One school are going to feel like they've been lied to and are going to be pissed and and rightly so. I get it." It's a decision that Hartford has to make, but they also have to understand that, you know, what the blowback's going to be and how is it going to affect the image of their school long term. This is what I think that this is where I think Hartford is missing the boat. Financially, if you think you're going to be able to save several million dollars by dropping, okay, I get it. But what is it going to do PR wise for your school? You know, look, whether you like it or not, Division One Athletics does raise the visibility of your programs. Look, uh, when Jen Rosati, former UConn star, was the women's basketball coach there, and they were doing great things, they got national attention. When they made the NCAA basketball tournament this year, they got national attention. 
You know, when their baseball team goes and plays some big school that's, you know, a, a perennial contender, you get recognition. You get looked at in other parts of the country where nobody would have ever heard of you before if it weren't for the fact that you were playing Division One athletics. This is where I think Hartford may be missing the boat and, and maybe overlooking something. I could be wrong, and, and, and but, but I certainly understand why the student-athletes are pissed. If I was recruited to go there to play Division One sports and I was a freshman, and now all of a sudden after my freshman year you're going to tell me you're going to pull the plug, yeah, I'd be pissed too, really pissed. Uh, and so they're going to take a PR hit, no question about it. It's 27 minutes past. Yeah, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we'll actually talk about some sports. How about those Red Sox? You know, people are ready to bury them. They lose that doubleheader to the Chicago White Sox. Well, they came back with a vengeance yesterday. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 29 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. So uh, don't uh, start throwing dirt on the Red Sox grave just yet. I know that it was disheartening to see them lose two in a row to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but yesterday... The Red Sox, and look, there. if I said I was not uh, nervous about that game yesterday, I would have been lying to you. Look, they were facing Lucas Giolito, uh, their ace, you know, and so there's no question that I thought the Red Sox were up against it yesterday. Well, folks, Lucas Giolito didn't make it out of the second inning. He gave up eight runs, eight hits, didn't strike out anybody, walked a couple, gave up two bombs, and it was a nightmare for him and a beautiful day for the Red Sox. 17 hits, three home runs. It was so bad that the Chicago White Sox used a pair of position players to uh, to finish the game on the mound. They pitched the last two innings um, just so that they wouldn't have to burn any more pitchers. Uh, Nate Valdi got the start for Boston picks up the win, struck out 10 and six and a third. And, you know, that's great. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, people in the Boston Globe are writing, well, you know, he put together a solid outing. Look, I don't know if I would consider nine uh, or nine hits and four runs in six and a third innings a solid outing. Yes, he struck out 10. Yes, he didn't walk anybody. Those are great, both great things. But you still gave up four runs and nine hits. You know, uh, so, you know, I don't know. This is one of those where, okay, give him a cookie. Uh, but to me, it's not exactly what you would call a quality start. But we'll take it. And Nate Valdi goes to 3-1. And one. and uh, Kike Hernandez with a home run yesterday. Uh, J.D. Martinez with another home run yesterday, his sixth of the season. Matter of fact, J.D. with three hits. It looked like his bat had kind of cooled off a little bit. Well, he's right back up three for five. He's now hitting 383. Uh, Alex Verdugo had three hits. He hit one out. And this, by the way, with Xander Bogarts had the day off. Um, and uh, But everybody contributed yesterday with the exception of Bobby Dahlbeck, who went 0 for 4. Everybody else in the Red Sox lineup had at least one hit. Uh, even Franchi Cordero had a couple of hits. Hunter Renfro had a couple of runs batted in. Uh, and even Dahlbeck, when he went 0 for 4, he had one at bat that was great. Um, uh, I want to say it was a 14-pitch a at bat. You know, I mean, look, he, he made it out, but he battled. You know, he doesn't look as overmatched uh, as he did early in the season. 
But uh, they really got to Giolito yesterday. Giolito had to throw 46 pitches in the first inning. Red Sox scored six runs in the first. 46 pitches by the Chicago starting pitcher. He comes out for the second inning, and uh, it, it was uh, it was over in a hurry. And uh, I mean, it was gross. It really was. So Red Sox with the win. Still in first place in the American League East. Not that it matters a whole hell of a lot at this point, but 11-6, and we'll take that all day long. And again, if you had said to me prior to the start of this series against the White Sox that the Red Sox were going to split the four games, I would have said, sign me up for that right now. Um, And today, uh, it's a two-game series starting with the Toronto Blue Jays. Erod will get the start against Hinge and Ryu. Ryu has been really, really good. His first three starts uh, in 19 innings, he struck out 19 guys, and he's got an ERA of 1.89. Uh, Erod was a little shaky his last time out as he continues to try to work his way back. I just expect he's going to get better and better. Uh, but uh, uh, important series for the Red Sox, no question about it. Um, the other thing that happened yesterday at Fenway Park is that after the game was over, a number of Red Sox players got vaccinated, uh, along with their families, by the way. Um, now, obviously, you know, the Red Sox would like to get to that 85% number because when they do, uh, Major League Baseball is going to relax a lot of the COVID-related restrictions to any team that gets to that 85%. But Alex Cora had this right. He said, you know, because with what has happened with Minnesota uh, and uh uh, a couple of other teams with the COVID thing early in the season, you know, the Washington Nationals, you know, people get caught up in the whole baseball thing. And this is what Alex said. He says, you know, he said, look, uh, he said, we're doing it for the right reasons. He said, you know, you can get caught up in the baseball side, but it's this is more more about more than baseball, you know, and we have to look. My wife was talking yesterday. She, as I said many times, she's a manager at Home Depot and she even now, as late as this pandemic has gone on, they still have people in her company, in her store, that are dealing with this, that are still getting infected. You know, uh, it is not over. You know, and, and as much like, as I said, with the, with the governor relaxing the restrictions here, that's all well and good. But you got to keep wearing your mask until you get vaccinated. You've got to do the right thing. So, as Alex said, you know, they, they, let's not get caught up on the baseball thing. You know, it's important, but it's more important that we keep people alive. You know, one of the reasons Alex said he got it is because he wants to protect his family. Um, you know, and on top of this, of course, Red Sox, the organization is hoping that the state of Massachusetts. Uh, will relax their restrictions a little bit as the numbers continue to go up and that they will be able to have more than the 12% capacity that they have right now. They had 4,700 people there yesterday. That's the cap. Um, and it's been nice to listen to, to, to fans. It's been nice to hear booing. You know, It's been nice to hear heckling. Uh, and they would obviously like to get And, and you know, the, the fans have noticed. Uh, or the players have noticed, I mean. And so it'd be great to have it uh, a bigger number. But, hey, uh, you know, get the vaccine, folks. If you haven't gotten it, get it. Get it, get it, get it. I keep saying that to my wife, and she keeps looking at me and flipping me the bird. 
Well, no, not really, but you know what I mean. Uh, but, you know, listen, if you can get it, get it. Um, the other thing that happened yesterday, everybody was talking about what happened down in the minor league site down in uh, Worcester. Uh, Jared Duran, a guy, or Jared Duran, a guy that everybody thought maybe might make the Red Sox out of spring training, didn't. Uh, that went that spot went to Franchi Cordero. But uh, he had a couple of home runs against the Mets in an exhibition game yesterday against their minor league team uh, as these players that are at the alternate sites. Until the minor league seasons start on May 1st, they're pl- kind of playing exhibition games against each other well. Jaron Duran hit two home runs yesterday. And Connor Seabold, the guy that they got from the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, also looked really good yesterday. Uh, pitched five innings, struck out five, didn't give up a run. And uh, they got him, and uh, he's 25 years old, and they think that this is a guy that could be in their major league rotation perhaps as early as next year. Um, as far as the Yankees go, they had yesterday off. They will play the Atlanta Braves for a two-game series starting tonight at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees get a bit of a break as it does not look like Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, the big star for the Atlanta Braves is going to be able to play. He is day-to-day with an abdominal strain. Now, they said it's a mild one. Uh, he had Monday off. Uh, you know, and he's only, look, he's only 23 years old. 23-year-olds recover fast. Jesus, I was outside yesterday and, you know, moving a dozen bags of mulch almost killed me. And But he's 23 years old. He's going to be able to bounce back quickly. But it doesn't look like he'll play tonight, uh, which is, look, good news for the Yankees. Uh, the bad news for the Yankees is that they're facing a right-handed pitcher tonight, and uh, Yankee batters are hitting just 202 against right-handed pitchers this season. The Yankees, by the way, this big fearsome lineup everybody's worried about, uh, they have only scored 55 runs so far this season. That's tied for the lowest in the American League with the Detroit Tigers. and That's not something uh, you want to be uh, known for. So uh, they're going to get going. It's just a matter of time, but... Uh, uh, they may get a break tonight with Acuna not playing. I mentioned the Minnesota Twins. Uh, their games against the Angels over the weekend were postponed because of the COVID outbreak that they had. Monday's opener of their series in Oakland was also postponed. Well, they are going to be able to play today. They're going to have a doubleheader uh, against the A's today. Uh, they have done additional testing, and there have been no more positive cases. So uh, they will be able to play their doubleheader today, which is good news. Um Nick Castellanos, uh, if you remember last week, got suspended for a couple of games by Major League Baseball uh, for being part of a uh, an on-field brawl. Now, this is what I didn't understand. Actually, this happened about a week and a half ago. Uh, he was suspended for two games despite the fact uh, he never threw a punch. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he 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 slid into home plate and stood over the Cardinal pitcher who was covering the plate and yelled at him because he was pissed because, you know, the, the Jake Woodford, the pitcher from the Cardinals, had hit him with a pitch earlier in the inning. So he's pissed, and he scored, and he was like, ah, you know. and uh, But he got suspended for that. It, it was insane. And, and somehow, Major League Baseball upheld the suspension, so Castellanos will begin serving uh, his two-game suspension tonight. Uh, he'll serve the first two games of a three-game series uh, that they start against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, just stupid. I mean, I, can't, I, just, I don't understand uh, how, uh, how they suspended him for that. Uh, here's, you know, and for the people, by the way, that want to say um, that baseball is dying, 
and you know that it's uh, you know losing losing fans, and maybe it is. I, and this is it's early, and it's anecdotal evidence, but Major League Baseball announced yesterday that for the first 18 ga- days of the season, it has been the most watched on their MLB TV streaming package in the 20-year history of MLB TV. That, I mean, you know, for whatever that's worth, and, and maybe it's because fans can't go to the ballpark, but they're saying that the numbers are up even from last year when the pandemic was in force. So it's up, it's a 12% increase from the first 18 days of last season and 43% more than the same period two years before that. Now, is it because baseball popularity is picking up and people are more interested? Um, is it because they can't go to a ballpark? You know, what, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think it, it, that people are more interested in baseball, but there's or the other part of this is, okay, you can't go to a game, but is it also because people have become more used to streaming? They're not, you know, I'd be interested. I mean, maybe they're not watching it as much on cable. Maybe they're streaming it. Now, you can't do that in your home market. For instance, if I, if I didn't want to watch the Red Sox on Nesson, I can't watch it on MLB TV because it's blacked out. They black out the local games. Now, there are ways to get around that. If you have a VPN and, you know, you, you, you show that you're not in your home market, it's, it's a game you can play. But by and large, if you're in your home market, you can't stream your local team. But I think, here's what I think. I think that the interest is up and it's a lot of it's out of market because I think with what's going on in San Diego, you know, with those, you know, the, the Tatis being there and all the, the trades that they've made with bringing on guys like you, Darvish, and Blake Snell, I, and that rivalry now that they're developing with the Dodgers, I actually think that a lot of what's going on with these numbers are because of what's happening on the West Coast. People are more interested now. I mean, if you think about it, and I, I saw this mentioned somewhere the other day, you know, the, there's been a bit of a shift in the epicenter of baseball. It used to be in the Northeast. It used to be everything centered around Yankee Stadium and the Red Sox. And, you know, I mean, it was a Northeast kind of thing. That was where the most of the interest was. It's now gone to California. Why? Because of what's going on with the Padres and the Dodgers. But also don't forget what you have going on just up the road with the Anaheim Angels where you have Mike Trout. So you could make a case that the most exciting players in baseball right now are all on the West Coast. Mookie Betts and Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, uh, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis, you name it. I mean, there are some huge, huge names on the West Coast. So I actually think that that's got a lot to do uh, with why these numbers are what it is. Now, I want to, the glass half full guy, the guy that's the huge baseball fan, would like to think it's because uh, baseball ain't dead yet, folks. That's what I want to hope. Um, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But, I mean, 12% over last year when the pandemic was still going on last year, you know, is it just the Dodgers and the, and the Padres or is it the sport itself? So we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that as the season goes on. And speaking of the Dodgers, what a great gesture uh, that they did yesterday. Um, Vince Scully, who retired as their 
play-by-play guy in 16 years after, or, or I mean in 2016, after being their play-by-play guy for 67 years, the Dodgers sent him a World Series ring from their 2020 championship. How cool is that? Uh, he's 93 years old, and uh, they said that they sent it to him because he is a Dodger forever. And uh, it was an, it's the exact same ring that the players got. I mean, it's, it, is, it is some serious bling. And Vince Gully, by the way, who has embraced Twitter, and I love this, um, had a, a tweet out yesterday. He said he couldn't wait to uh, share this with all of you. And he said, uh, thanks, Dodgers. And, uh, you know, I love it because Scully, I love the fact that he's on Twitter. And what he does, a lot of times he just sits in a chair and it, he does video stuff more often than not. And he'll give you a two-minute sermon on something that happened in Dodger history or, you know, trying to put what's going on with the Dodgers or with baseball in perspective. You know, he did something about Jackie Robinson the other day because he was – with the Dodgers when Jackie Robinson was playing. I mean, think about what a connection he is, not just to the Dodgers, but to baseball as a whole. A fact that, you know, Jackie Robinson was somebody that he was close to. So I think I just thought it was a very cool gesture uh, that the Dodgers did that for Vince Scully. It's 45 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Tuesday morning. So the Boston Celtics uh, lost yesterday. They had their six-game winning streak snapped. Um, but not uh, – look, I, I'm not concerned about this at all. Uh, watched a little of the game. But look, here, here's the thing. They played the game without Marcus Smart, without Kemba Walker, without their starting center – Robert Williams, and still without Evan Fournier, who has missed eight games now with the coronavirus. After you know being acquired in a trade for the Celtics, I think he played uh, from the uh, from the Magic. I think he played one game, and then went on <laughs> the COVID nineteen protocol. So we haven't seen him since. So you know they played the game with uh, Olojuwe uh, starting, Tristan Thompson starting in the middle, and Peyton Pritchard starting at point. Uh, and you know, Jason Tatum shot three for 17. Well, you know, and, and, you know, I saw a thing, well, you know, the Celtics are going to have to really be worried because Billy Donovan, the coach of the, of, uh, of the bulls, you know, that he, uh, he coached his team to, to guard, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the way they will in the playoffs. I don't Come on. They were missing three starters. And I don't care how Billy Donovan wants to guard Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum last night. Of course he did. They were the only three, only two players on the court that were going to do anything. If you've got Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier and Robert Williams available last night, it's a completely different game. The Celtics probably win the damn thing by 20 points. Not maybe not 20, but they win it probably 10 to 15 points. So I'm not going to get too wrapped up in what happened last night. Obviously... You know, you'd like to win a game against a team that's nine games under 500. I get that. And you're in a dogfight trying to stay out of that play-in game. You know, right now the Celtics are tied um, for the uh, fifth spot in the Eastern Conference. They're only half a game behind Atlanta. There was some hope that maybe they could move up into the top three. I don't think that's likely, but they got to keep themselves in the top four, stay out of the play-in, and make sure you get some home field advantage, at least for the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, but I'm not too worried about last night. I mean, when you don't have, you know, half your team – 
available. I mean, I don't know what the hell they were supposed to do. Uh, give Chicago credit, I guess, that they won the game against a, an undermanned Celtics team. You know, good for them. Um, other thing that happened in sports last night, Patrick Marlowe is being uh, congratulated for uh, surpassing Gordy Howe for the most games played in NHL history. And to be sure, and I'm not trying to denigrate what Patrick Marlowe did, he's played in 1,768 games in the NHL, one more than Gordy Howe did um, when uh, he played for the, uh, the San Jose Sharks last night. They lost to Vegas 3-2. Um, Marlowe's 41 years old. Look, I, I, you know, so great for him. You know, he's played since he was 18 years old. He was, uh, he was a young kid, been around forever. However, here's the thing. He didn't break Gordy Howe's record. Gordy Howe might've played 1,767 in the NHL. He also played 419 more in the WHA, the World Hockey Association, which the NHL does not recognize, which is ridiculous because the WHA was loaded with NHL players. It'd be kind of like it's kind of like the NBA uh, with the old ABA. You know, that's where like Dr. J and a lot of guys started their careers was in the rival ABA. Well, the NBA absorbed the ABA and took some of the ABA players uh, in, and those stats have been combined. The NHL refuses to do that. So Gordie Howe really played in like 2,200 games. Gordie Howe was a beast. And as I've said before, I met Gordie Howe a number of times, one of the nicest guys I ever met, and had the strongest handshake I have ever encountered. And when I met him, he when I, the first time I met him, I want to say he was 62, 63, and I thought that he was going to take me to my knees with his strong handshake. And he wasn't trying to to do anything to uh, intimidate me. I mean, we were just meeting, you know, we were talking in the press box at the Hartford Civic Center. And he almost crushed my hand. So good for Patrick Marlowe. It's great that he, that he did that. Uh, but I'm not going to get too wrapped up in it because uh, nobody will ever be an Iron Man the way that Gordy Howe was. Gordy Howe played into his 50s. He was ridiculous. Um, Alex Smith, the quarterback for the Washington football team this past year, announced his retirement yesterday. Um, uh, if you remember Smith, uh, great story. I mean, great story and tragic story and gruesome story all at the same time. Uh, if you remember that awful uh, knee injury he had that required 17 surgeries uh it happened back in 2018 against houston broke his tibia and his fibula on his right leg it was so bad he was hospitalized for a month uh developed an infection where they almost had to take his leg and yet two years later he's the quarterback starting for washington after kyle allen got injured and he came in to start on November 15th, went 5-1 and one as a starter this past year, including, by the way, a win on the final week of the season uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles that clinched the NFC East title for Washington. Now, he strained his calf in that game, wasn't able to play in the playoffs. But uh, to me, and, and he was named the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. To me, he's the comeback player of all time in the NFL. I can't think of anyone... But, you know, perhaps maybe in any sport, 
who came back from something that gruesome. You know, I was thinking, you know, I remember, you know, there's been a lot of guys that have tried to come back in baseball after getting hit in the head uh, or having their face shattered. And I mean, it's, uh, and they've never been the same player. You know, I remember uh, Dickie Thon, the guy who uh, was a second baseman for the Houston Astros. I remember him getting hit. and I, You know, he tried to come back, was never the same. Of course, we all remember Tony Canigliaro for the Boston Red Sox. He was never the same. Um, but Alex Smith, I mean, they almost amputated his leg, and yet he came back and did what he did. He's 37 years old. There were actually teams that were interested in signing him this past year. But he just decided that, uh, and, and who can blame him? Look, you know, you come back from that, you go out on a high note, you know, and you're dealing with the calf thing, and uh, I don't blame him at all. Even though there were some teams interested in him to maybe be a backup quarterback, he just decided that, uh, you know, uh, being able to walk and spend time with your family is more important. So good on him, uh, and uh, he's one of those guys that people will remember for a long, long time uh, for what he was able to do. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Luke Bryan. He was named the Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards uh, on Sunday night. Uh, one of the judges on American Idol as well. Uh, this is his new song called Waves. Have, have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.